So for the middle 700 years, the Middle Ages, we're going to see how the church is going to be gripped by an alternative to the real pattern of teaching uh, of Christ and the apostles. Their teaching was a by-my-spirit pattern of life, but the Middle Ages is going to see the vast majority of people uh, becoming power and might Christians. But God is going to maintain a minority report. In other words, there's going to be God continuing to offer people in this period the original pattern, the by my spirit pattern, in four ways. And so let me give some examples of those four ways. First of all, a guy named Fiacra of Mo. Fiacra of Mo. Here's a, a uh, picture of him, a representation of him, uh, and he's uh, digging with a spade. And that might be because Fiacra was an Irish prayer warrior who went to the continent into uh, today's France to a place called Meaux, M-E-A-U-X, and uh, he was told that he could have as much land as he could dig in a day. But I believe that the, the shovel represents something more. Let me explain that. Fiacra was a guy who was gifted in healing power. So the Holy Spirit used him through the laying on of hands and through prayer, uh, used him to heal many, many diseases. He became known uh, as especially effective in certain diseases, and he would attract people who had those diseases who would seek him to pray for them, um, especially uh, people on pilgrimage who would uh, make his stop uh, a major stop on the way to wherever they were going, sometimes Jerusalem or other places. But uh, Fiacra, he had a healing ministry, and there's no doubt about it. But what it, what, what, I would like to point out here is that Fiacra also had an enormous garden. So the shovel has another significance besides how he got started. Um, he uh, saw not only that God wanted to use him supernaturally, but also naturally uh, for healing. He saw that the creation is God's supernatural gift to us. And because it's God's artistry, it's full of secrets that God placed there that we can discover. And so Fiacra devoted uh, much of his life to discovering the secrets of plants and how those plants can be used for healing. And so that is a piece of Celtic Christianity that's going to continue right on into the Roman Catholic years. There, there are going to be um, pieces of Celtic Christianity that are not going to be wiped out by power and might Christianity. So you see that, for example, in Ellis Peters' uh, mysteries uh, about Brother Cadfile. And um, uh, this is a Catholic monk. Uh, in the, the west, in the west, maybe in uh, um, Wales uh, or or near Wales, 
if you've ever watched those, uh, you, it's somewhere in the west of England, near Wales. And, uh, and so here's a, a Catholic monk who is skilled in the arts of healing and the discovery of the secrets of plants for healing. That's, that comes from the, the Celtic years and from seeing the power of God working through creation and discovering how we can harness that uh, for healing today. And uh, let me just say that my wife and I have really discovered uh, this for ourselves. I mean, it's just amazing. We used to rely entirely on science and um, the medical idea of healing. But since we have um, come to believe in by my spirit Christianity and have seen God uh, working through his creation and just open ourselves in the Holy Spirit to both of these methods or, or pathways to healing, we've become far more healthy than we were when we were younger. And here we are in our 70s. We don't, uh, we don't really need to go to a doctor. We don't need to take any medications. We are far more healthy uh, with the insights of the anointing of the Holy Spirit working through these two methods, prayer and the discovery of the secrets of creation for, for healing. And uh, this really works. Okay, so there's, there's one area that we feel like um, the Celtic gift, the Celtic way of opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit uh, continued on long after the Celtic church itself died. Secondly, um, this man, Bernard of Clairvaux, in the uh, 11th and into the 12th century, there was um, a, a new uh, discovery of the original vision that had birthed uh, the uh, Benedictine monasteries. By that time, the Benedictine monasteries were full of that power and might uh, corruption. Um, the, the, the monastery at Cluny, for example, was enormous and extremely wealthy and uh, prided itself in its connections with uh, political figures. And just it, it, it was just it had been taken over by this power and might uh, model of ministry. And, um, and, and yet here in uh, the middle of this 700-year period that we're talking about um, was a, a group of people who wanted to get back to the original vision, which was a by-my-spirit vision. So they rediscovered the original rule of St. Benedict. Well, guess where that rule of St. Benedict came from? It came from John Cassian, who got it from Evagrius. And uh, so here we are discovering, again, the Desert Fathers, John Cassian, that whole original vision of the by my spirit kind of lifestyle. And so here is a rebirth of that right in uh, the middle of this 700 year period. And uh, it's gonna uh, take a leap, a gigantic leap forward 
when this guy, Bernard of Clairvaux, um, enters into one of those Cistercian monasteries and he becomes a leader. And wow, this man uh, was able to articulate, to live out the by my spirit lifestyle. Now he's still, he's still a medieval guy, he's still a Roman Catholic, and yet God is going to use him to bring the people back to some of the most basic by my spirit uh, patterns that we see clear back at the beginning in the, the Desert Fathers. And he's going to, uh, irony here is that he's going to, he's going to multiply Cistercian monasteries and they're going to go back into England, back into Scotland, back into Ireland and all those places that in the, in the meantime have, have grown as dead as a doornail. But here comes these houses of prayer that are going to be raised up in these places and they're going to bring people back into the original by my spirit lifestyle. Now, thirdly, uh, I want to introduce you to Columbanus. Columbanus was uh, an Irish, uh, a, a guy in the sixth century uh, who's going to um, be one of those great uh, house of prayer people, and uh, and and he's going to take. 12 of the prayer warriors uh, from uh, Bangor under Comgall, who was an, another one of those great leaders of the houses of prayer in the Celtic church. And he's going to take those 12 and they are going to go to the continent, to, to Europe, and they're going to build houses of prayer there. Well, he's going to go through Switzerland, build a house of prayer in Switzerland, and then he's going to end up in Italy and he's going to build a house of prayer in Bobbio, Italy, northern Italy. And uh, the significance of that is that Bobbio is going to be a little island of Celticness, a little island of this uh, by my spirit lifestyle with all of the things that were unique to the Celtic church. And it's going to be like a time bomb in northern Italy. And, and then in the, the 12th and in the 13th century, it, that time bomb is going to suddenly explode when a guy named Francis of Assisi visits Bobbio. And most Franciscan scholars say that, that that changed his life. That transformed a guy who had grown up right in the middle of all this power and might Christianity and it, it gave Francis this vision of Christ and, and his disciples of walking in the Spirit. And uh, all those patterns that we're talking about now, uh, the sevenfold pattern of a by my spirit lifestyle, Francis is going to adopt that and he's going to teach that. And his particular form of monasticism is going to uh, emphasize going out and preaching the gospel to the poor. So, I mean, it's just like Martin of Tours. It's just like a lot of those guys, uh, St. Columba, all of those guys. It's going to be prayer, but it's also going to be evangelism, prayer and evangelism together. And that's what the Franciscans are going to be known for. Now, of course, it's still medieval. It's still Roman Catholic. 
it, 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 it isn't the way you and I would do things. What I'm saying here is that God has come down and is still bringing that, set, that alternative, really the original alternative, and he's not letting people uh, be abandoned to this false lifestyle. Finally, I want to tell you about Brendan the Navigator. Um, Brendan was uh, one of 12 of the disciples of Finian, who was one of the great builders of the houses of prayer. And uh, each of those 12 then were, they just multiplied, multiplied, multiplied houses of prayer. And uh, Brendan's great house of prayer was uh, at Clonfert, and, uh, but he built many, many others besides that one in Central and Western Ireland. Um, but at the, toward the end of his life, Brendan had a vision of, uh, of a, an Isle of Promise off to the west, across the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, he believed that God was calling him to find that, to sail out west in one of those boats that the Irish built, you know, uh, and uh, the just hides and and tar and bows. I mean, it's, it's just incredible that anybody would go out in the ocean in one of these boats and uh, think that they could cross the ocean. But that's exactly what Brendan the Navigator uh, felt God was asking him to do, and he took 14 others with him, and, and he did it. And uh, this prayer of Brendan reflects the, uh, the, the terrible decision that this was for him as, as a Christian leader. Shall I abandon, O king of mysteries, the soft comforts of home? Shall I turn my back on my native land and my face towards the sea? Shall I put myself wholly at the mercy of God without silver, without a horse, without fame and honor? Shall I throw myself wholly on the king of kings without sword and shield, without food and drink, without a bed to lie on? Shall I say farewell to my beautiful land, placing myself under Christ's yoke? Shall I pour out my heart to him, confessing my manifold sins and begging forgiveness, tears streaming down my cheeks? Shall I leave the prints of my knees on the sandy beach, a record of my final prayer in my native land? Shall I then suffer every kind of wound that the sea can inflict? Shall I take my tiny coracle across the wide sparkling ocean? O King of the glorious heaven, shall I go of my own choice upon the sea? O Christ, will you help me on the wild waves? That amazing prayer led to Brendan's voyage. And uh, you almost have to believe that he actually did cross the ocean. Um, there's evidence that he actually landed in Newfoundland, and then he made his way back to the Azores, and then back to his home country. And he wrote down, uh, this, the, the story of his journey. Unfortunately, we don't have the original story, but somewhere around the ninth century, somebody 
um, made a chronicle or a saga. Uh, saga is really the best word for it, like an odyssey. Um, it's, it's, it's not a history. I don't think it claims to be a history, and yet it's, a, it's more like a novel. It's a, it's a saga, but it's based on Brendan's voyage. And so it's called the, the Brendan, Brendan's Voyage. You know it has to have a basis for reality because right in the middle of it is the story of Brendan's encounter with an iceberg. And they couldn't possibly have known about icebergs unless somebody actually went and discovered one. And so we know that there's, there's, there's reality behind this story. And yet it, it's so full of um, uh, clearly uh, fictional encounters with uh, different beasts and all kinds of different things. And, and you know it's not, there's so much that's been added to it. Um, but the amazing thing is that this story caught, captured the imagination of Europeans. It was translated into all kinds of languages. Uh, it, it uh, over, well over a hundred manuscripts exist to this day. Um, it, in other words, this story captured the imagination of Christian people throughout Europe. And I believe that God used it to say, um, across the ocean to the west, there is an Isle of Promise or a land of promise. It's a kingdom vision that I have for you. And it's going to take you across the Atlantic Ocean. It's going to take you west. And it's not going to be a vision of gold and, and all of those things that you would find later on in the, at the end of the Middle Ages. But it's going to be more a, a kingdom vision from those early years, a kind of a time bomb again that's going to explode much later and draw people with a kingdom vision out across the Atlantic Ocean. And that part of it is going to be real. And that's what we're going to trace in the next series of teachings.